I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, and of course the eyes of the world uh, now are on a submersible, as it seems there is now, they reckon, a little over 24 hours left to save the what are being uh, written about in many papers as the Titanic explorers and that's 24 hours left before their oxygen runs out. There was a press conference last night and the US Coast Guards revealed the complexity but they also revealed the sheer scale of the search operation in trying to trace this missing uh, submarine. Uh, they say that the, it's a very small cramped it's a very small vessel, so the, the five men on board will be all very cramped inside in it. They reckoned at the press conference yesterday they had 40 hours of breathable air left. So that will bring it down now to about 24 hours. So about this time tomorrow, they will have run out of oxygen. I just think it's the thought of them if the five men are just, you know, counting down and watching the hours count down it really is the the stuff of uh, nightmares ships, planes and underwater drones are all looking for this 22 foot craft. It's described if you're sitting inside that it feels like you're sitting in sort of like the back of a small van, that's what it's like they're all sort of sitting cross-legged, I know they had to remove their shoes before they went in and that's so it isn't the most comfortable place to be sitting even for the duration of the journey they were doing let alone now to be there for a number of days. And of course, they have been missing since uh, Sunday. But even if they manage within this next, this last 24 hour window to locate the submarine, they say it may be even too late then to save those that are on board. Now, it's also emerged that the Coast Guards weren't notified until eight hours after the submarine vanished. So there'll be a lot of questions uh, to answer about this uh, trip uh, when hopefully you'd like to think that they will all be found and they will all be uh, rescued. They were an hour and 45 minutes into the dive of the uh, Titanic when the mothership, this is the Polar Prince, now and 45 minutes in, they lost 
all contact with the tiny submersible. Now, by yesterday, a fleet of US and Canadian rescue ships and an aircraft all swarmed to the scene, scene along with a growing number of private uh, vessels. And speaking at the search headquarters in Boston, a US Coast Guard captain Jamie Frederick uh, announced that the uh, search efforts have so far yielded no results. Now, you've got to bear in mind that the Titanic wreckage lies at a depth of 12,500 feet and Titan, this little submersible, was one of the only crafts in the world capable of reaching it. I mean, I was reading, for example, that even a nuclear submarine can't safely go down to that particular depth. And of course, the fears are that the craft could be in some way snagged on the doomed cruise liner itself, which if it was, it would make rescue all but impossible because there's no one to get down to grab it, to bring it uh, back up. Ocean Gate, they're the company who run this particular uh, dive experience. They advertise it as an, they they advertise the adventure as a once in a lifetime opportunity to safely dive the Titanic wreck site in a 12,500 feet journey to the bottom of the sea. Every step possible now has been taken to bring the five members on board back to uh, safety and that was a quote from Ocean Gate uh, who run the adventure Uh, trips. It was reported yesterday that the company actually had fired a director who raised concerns about the safety and that was as far back as 2018. Uh, Ocean Gate disagreed with his demands that they would need more vigorous safety checks on the uh, submersible. So as I say, there will be a lot of questions uh, to be answered and um, as always with anything like this, I suppose it's showing how small the the world is and um, there's always some kind of an Irish connection, isn't there? And the Irish connection, it seems, is is for us here in uh, Cork because it's emerged that one of those on board has family here in Cork. It's the renowned diver, Paul Henri Hergolet. He's understood to have been piloting the vessel on its most recent voyage and two of Paul Henri's adult children actually live in Cork and one of his grandchildren uh, goes to a national school in the uh, city. And the 77-year-old actually gave a talk at University College Cork in 2019 when he spoke about his many, many trips to the Titanic's final resting place. The former French naval commander organised the event to help raise funds actually for his grandson's uh, school. So there is a Cork uh, connection and you can imagine how his family are feeling as they are awaiting the news. I think it's just the thought of the five of them locked into this tiny little submarine watching the clock tick away. Now the latest of course that has come out this morning is that Search teams detected some kind of underwater sounds while they were scanning the North Atlantic uh, for the submersible. Um, The discovery yesterday led teams to relocate their underwater robotic search operations in an attempt to try to explore the origin of the sounds. Um, But the, um, I mean, up to um, uh, today, they still, up to this morning and before we came on air, uh, the Coast Guard, they weren't detailing the nature or the extent of the sounds they have uh, detected or how they were picked up but they were saying so far it hasn't led uh, to uh, anything um, and then it's I mean different news channels in the UK or in the US should I say 
are reporting these additional sounds and uh, like CNN for example were saying that there were sounds that were heard four hours apart there was an initial banging and then four hours later uh, they reckon they were detected uh, again but uh, there are the you know when you look at the experience of somebody like uh, Paul Henri who was piloting this particular vessel and he's been down to Titanic uh, so many times he would have a lot of experience on this they say I heard one naval expert saying that you, you know experts would know that if you get trapped in in a situation like that you tap and you tap every 30 minutes to show that it is a regular sound so I don't know if they've been picking up uh, sounds like that but it really is a sad case and as I say the whole world uh, seems to be uh, watching it but it did strike me, particularly when I was opening the papers today, I think it was in the Irish Times, you know, they had a piece all about this Ocean Gate and, and the search uh, for the five men on board. But right beside it was a piece about the fishing vessel which was packed with Europe-bound migrants uh, which sank last week and they were reporting how Greek authorities had reti- re- retrieved another three bodies. And it just struck me, there doesn't seem to be the same level of media coverage for this fishing vessel vessel that was packed full of migrants that sank on Sunday. Remember, there were 750 men, women and children on board at about uh, midnight uh, um, uh, when the boat went down at about midnight on it was last Tuesday, was it, or last Sunday? Anyway, whatever day it was, but 750 men, women and children uh, on board, of which only 104 survivors has been has been found. And while Coast Guards uh, in Greece are now searching, it's a, it's a search and recovery or searching for bodies, it just struck me there wasn't the same level of media uh, attention on 750 souls going down as opposed to these uh, five men who are trapped in this submersible. A listener says, Patricia, please stop commentating on those privileged rich people who are stuck on the seabed. They should not be down there. It's an underwater graveyard at the end of the day. Leave the souls on the Titanic alone and leave them rest in peace. I have no feelings for these mega rich people. How about they donate to a Titanic charity uh, instead? Well, yeah, and you know, I've I've heard that argument that they did uh, willingly uh, pay a lot of money to go down this uh, submersible and they do sign a waiver and seemingly in the waiver it's got risk of death is mentioned three times I think in the opening paragraph but at the end of the day there's a human story behind this uh, as well. And what about the families, their families that are left behind? You couldn't help but have uh, sympathy for them. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. And morning, Patricia, says somebody else. Are other people, oh, this is Anne. Thank you, I've put your name on it. Are other people getting their electricity bill and noticing that for this period, it's very high? It's crazy. I'm very worried now for the next bill. Why aren't the government coming down hard? on the electricity companies to reduce bills for people says Anne. And the reason that this bill, Anne, appears to be so high, it's not necessarily that you've used any more electricity than you possibly used this time last year. But of course this is the first bill without the €200 Euro energy credit that the government had been given, giving and we know electricity bills have almost doubled in uh, some cases. The last, when I checked, uh, we did a piece on it last week, it's looking like it's going to be the 
back end of this year before any of the utility companies start passing on any kind of savings. So to me, certainly, and normally this is the time of year when we don't use as much electricity as we do, say, in the winter months. Certainly in the winter months, the government are going to have to look at giving those energy credits uh, again. But Anne, you're not alone. There's a lot of people will be struggling when their electricity bill are, are struggling when their electricity bills are arriving. 0818-103-103. And just to mention, we've got a competition running every day this week and it's tickets to go to the National Menopause Summit. Uh, People may have heard about this. There was an inaugural National Menopause Summit held in the Mansion House in Dublin. I think it was back in March. It was hugely successful. I heard of people that went that said it was absolutely fascinating and people learned so much for it. And it's one of these events that debunks a lot of the myths and the taboos around the menopause and it gives women a platform of understanding and a respect to ensure that nobody suffers needlessly at this time in their lives. So, so successful was the first National Menopause Summit in Dublin that they've decided to bring one to Cork and they're coming to uh, Cork later on in the year, Friday the 20th of October and the Menopause Summit in Cork is going to, is going to, Its title is Advocating for uh, Change and we have a pair of tickets to give away every day this week. It's a pair of balcony tickets for the National Menopause Summit in Cork in October and I'll tell you how you can win those uh, points, uh, win a pair of those tickets uh, later on and I really really only want people who will genuinely go along to this uh, summit and go along and gain and learn a lot or maybe if you've got a family member who is struggling with the menopause and would like to learn uh, a lot more about it uh, we'll be giving you details of how you can enter later on. According to a report from the Banking and Payments Federation a single first time buyer must now earn €67,000 a year if they want to secure a mortgage to get onto the property ladder. Uh, David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders Organisation uh, joins me. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, Patricia. have to say my jaw dropped when I read this uh, report. Uh, isn't it fair to say very few young people are on wages of €67,000 a year? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a bit more complex than the report sets out. And your introduction actually says it quite correctly, which is, this is just to get a mortgage. <laughs> this doesn't mean you get a house. Um, and one of the challenges that many have at the moment is that the, they feel that if they do have a high enough salary, that's automatically four times their income. Uh, you know, there are a lot of other parameters that need to be taken into consideration. And you mentioned young people. Young people may not have a lengthy employment record, um, which also is a consideration for and getting on the property ladder. But look, it's a 67,000 salary now. It's 20,000 more over the last couple of years has been required. It's a significant increase in, in, in pay that is required for someone to get on the property ladder. Single people have always been discriminated against in, in the system. Both, uh, you know, it's been very, very hard to get onto the property ladder and needing the extra firepower of an, of an extra person. I'm not advocating any single person goes out and finds somebody for the purpose of making a mortgage application. Um but it is a challenge and has always been a challenge. And this really makes it very, very difficult because um, this is a very significant salary that's required for somebody to now even get onto the property ladder, assuming everything else goes well. And anybody who buys or has bought a home will understand there are many, many, many hurdles, many, many challenges, not just the quantum of how much you earn. OK, so even if you had the €67,000 a year job, four times that would be 268000 you need a, a deposit then on top of that? 
you know, 248, you're like 250. So if you look at it, say roughly it's a 250,000 salary. And then you have to take, take a deposit. You've got to save up for deposit, assuming you're not renting, assuming you are at home. So a lot of assumptions, a lot of really technical, difficult, real-life challenges that many people listening to your program are experiencing on a daily basis. Many people are moving their entire lives around, uh, you know, ensuring they stay at home. And the average age of someone staying at home now is much more significant. People who are buying houses, by the way, are also buying houses with families looking at the size of the house, not doing as they used to do and say, what happens when the kids go at 18 and we're here on our own? That's not going to happen anymore. So I think there's a significant challenge in relation to it. You have to have a deposit um, of, of your 10% that's there. And then you have all of the, the negotiations with, with bidding on properties and, and, and new bills are great for people to give some certainty. A lot of first-time buyers like new um, building projects where they know how much it is and they buy it off plans and take their chance not having seen that, the property. But anybody else is, is involved in a, a bidding war and they're involved in a bidding war with multiple parties who've got greater firepower than one person on a salary to just get them on the ladder. And of course, when, when we're talking about a solo buyer, we all, you know, the reality is that relationships uh, break down. You also have a number of people who are older and are trying to purchase a house on their own. You do, and you have relationships that have broken down where two parties would have bought a house, and now only one party is in the house where both parties are on the mortgage. And a great difficulty arises there because people enter into um, separation agreements and uh, they go before a family judge who says, you know, David and Patricia have separated and we've agreed our deal. And the judge says, thank you very much, that's fine. But that doesn't bind the bank to any deal. The bank is excluded from that deal. And many people fall into the great trap of thinking, oh, that's great, the judge approved our separation agreement or a divorce. Yeah, he did, or she did. But they didn't compel the bank to hand Patricia the house or for, to relinquish David's responsibility for paying mm-hmm. that debt. So it's a very, very challenging environment. Um, and I think you do have a lot of people of different ages buying houses. And then somebody who's a little bit older, then obviously one of the parameters that's being taken into consideration is how many years they'll be able to afford to pay a mortgage. Um, and, you know, there's a whole host of rules that apply rather than just the simple quantum of earning um, yeah, money. It, it isn't it, as simple as how much no, you get no. in your paycheck every I month. Think, yeah. I think the, afford, the affordable housing scheme that Minister Dara Bryan introduced is a good scheme. It's not been ramped up half as much as it needs to be. I know he and others are trying to ramp it up and many of the other approved housing bodies are also involved in doing that and, and doing it with some semblance of success as well. That is a scheme uh, for uh, people on the property ladder who are single uh, and people on lower income that need some help. And, and like, this is the joke now, Patricia. Like the, where we are having a conversation where people can't get on the property ladder with one person on a salary of 67, 69 grand. It's a crazy situation. It is a crazy, crazy world to go to a famous band. So I think we need we need to have a look very clearly and carefully at the affordable housing scheme. Many people do need assistance in getting uh, into the property ladder. And again, there, there are, you know, you do have debates though, recently and, and, you know, when the mortgage interest rate issues have arisen over the last uh, particularly 12 months uh, with uh, vulture funds and others charging extraordinary rates, some commentators do then say, well, you know, those people who have homes are better off. And we have this now little sinister tone that has emerged um, where we're trying to encourage home ownership and we're trying to encourage safe home ownership. Uh, and we do then have, you know, the, the snipes that arise where someone says, oh, yeah, but those who buy houses are better off than others. Yes, they are. Yes, they earn the money. Yes, they pay their taxes. And yes, they deserve to buy a house if they want to. And those um, trying to save when they're paying high rents, that's a huge problem. But it is a huge problem. And some of the banks now do take into consideration the rents being paid, which is very helpful. And that has taken a long time before it came. It's an illogical 
thing that they didn't do it in the past, but now they are doing it. But it is very stressful. Like you're trying to curtail and corral your entire life now. And and you know what's worse, Patricia, what really is worse is you skimp, you save, you hold your money, you don't do your holidays, you stay possibly at home or a couple even stay in their both respective parents' homes. You do everything you humanly can to save. You're getting a little bit older now you're bidding on an open market on a marketplace that has a lot less properties and higher prices and a far more volatile situation. So it is a very, very stressful um, process for anybody to be involved in. And anyone who has been involved in it or is involved in it, not just the mortgage application. Mortgage application is not a slam dunk. The mortgage application then is time sensitive. Then you have your mortgage approval. Then you're going into a war to bid on properties with many other people, some better off than you and in better paid jobs than you, are bidding against you pushing everything up. So it's a very difficult, very yeah, stressful. It can be soul-destroying for people trying to bid on houses. Are we seeing house prices come down in any real, real way? I think we're seeing them stabilise and I think technically by minuscule percentages are coming down. But ultimately we still have a shortage of property, we still have a shortage of homes. You know, we we remember, because we don't have, as other European countries have, um, people give out and say, oh yeah, but why are we only so obsessed about buying a house? Well, we're so obsessed about buying a house, I think for two reasons. One is, Irish people have an obsessive compulsive disorder about not uh, wasting money and the perception of paying rent is wasting money. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. one problem. But the second problem that's relevant to that is we don't have, like other jurisdictions, a 25-year lease. Yeah. Everyone is in uncertain territory when they're renting because there's so many parameters happening with landlords around at the moment between interest rates and their own set of circumstances and landlords, as they will tell you, are getting older. They didn't, Their age didn't freeze. When we talk about borrowers getting older, their age didn't freeze either. So there's a lot of parameters there, but we don't have 25-year, 30-year leases that give you certainty with uncertainty, and we don't like to give, to give money where we're not seeing a benefit to it. Yeah, I know Threshold, the housing charity, they're releasing a report uh, today that's showing over 50% of people who are renting are, are living in fear of the day that they're going to get a phone call or a letter in the post or an email from oh, the, the landlord I, saying they've got to move out. I'm shocked there's only 50%. Yeah. Like, as many people uh, for, that I would know uh, who are renting on, on a regular, regular basis, including staff of mine and everyone else's, they've got great difficulty in relation to uncertainty, knowing. By the way, mortgage holders have uncertainty now as well in relation to interest rates. So this is a very, very difficult environment. And, you know, one of the categories of the, the, the first-time buyer going looking for property as well is not even knowing month to month, someone who applied last month and all of a sudden, what's the interest rate this month? It is a very, very difficult landscape for many. It is stressful. And I mean, that's genuine. And people need to mind themselves. People need to take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. This is an unexpectedly very stressful, very difficult situation. And I mentioned only yesterday the shortage of teachers in Dublin because of uh, the housing uh, shortage or the cost of trying to buy a house in Dublin. So it's having a real knock-on effect, not having affordable housing. You're a country now where, you know, we used to have housing for nursing staff. Nursing who used to be, when they were training, used to stay in the hospitals. We had had accommodation for uh, Gardaí we had accommodation for army staff. We had multiple sets of accommodation where we had properties that different organisations and entities had, and now we've none of that. And now we have a health service and a state service and public service under immense pressure. And people now not being able to accommodate. And the traffic uh, situation and transport situation is not fit for purpose. So we have every single combination of everything you humanly wanted to happen to ensure that it is most difficult, most stressful, for anyone who's working in those areas. And we need a very radical affordable housing scheme. And the current one that the Minister has is a good one and needs to be ramped up like never before.
Okay, very finally, somebody says, could you ask David, please, what advice would he give to a young couple desperately trying to get on the property ladder? I think I think the most important, and this sounds crazy, um, Patricia, but the most important thing is they need to keep their head. This is a very difficult, really, for, for, for anybody, anybody of any, uh, you know, age and experience. It's a very difficult thing to navigate. I think one of the key things is, is, is getting a good mortgage broker, I think, in the first instance, and then finding a trusted, and I, I use the word loosely, a trusted um agent who looks after property agents that are there. So I think it's it's a very, very difficult environment. But I think the number one part for anyone getting on property ladder is to engage with a good um, mortgage broker. And I'll send on details to the to um JP there in relation to a couple of things I would recommend that, that indeed I've used myself. I think that's the most important part is to ensure you navigate through the banking process first. And then I think you know you have to be able to that that, that sets the tone Patricia because that sets what you're able what you're going to be able to borrow, what you're what you're going to be able to repay and then then you move next what property fits into that um, package. And and I think there's a certainty for young first-time buyers in buying properties off plans or in new development because the price is frozen. I've found recently with many people there's a semblance of security there rather than the uncertainty of what it ends up being a big casino. Okay, listen, we leave it there, uh, David. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks. Good morning to you. That is uh, David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders uh, Organisation. Somebody says, Patricia, while it was a great idea for the government to increase the intake of medical and nursing staff for next year, 2024, it's not going to solve the chronic shortage of doctors and nurses here. We will be training more students to emigrate on completion of their degree. Instead, they should be committed to a two-year postgraduate contract to offset their subsidised training. this would at least ensure that there would, would be a constant source of staff available uh, each year. And of course, what we are now relying on uh, to prop up our health system is we are bringing in overseas nurses and doctors and uh, care assistants. And I, I worry about where, where, where are they going to live if we need to implore, if we need to go overseas even more uh, to get staff. We're going to have an issue. We spoke about the teachers not having any place to live in Dublin. It's going to be uh, the same uh, for people like doctors and nurses as well. Georgina was listening to my chat with uh, David Hall of the Irish Mortgage Holders uh, Association and says she agrees with every word that David was saying, particularly with regard to young people trying to get onto the property ladder. Georgina was uh, telling John Paul about her son who is desperately trying to buy a house. Now, he had been in a long term relationship for years, so the plan had been that two of them were going to be trying to purchase the mortgage. But unfortunately, that relationship broke down during the pandemic. So he's now a solo buyer uh, trying to find a house and he is becoming desperately frustrating. He's finding it increasingly hard to find a house. And then when he does find a house, house he is uh, continuously outbid on the price of the house. Georgina says, I can see him getting totally down over this. He's still living at home with Georgina and that's because the cost of renting and he's trying to save every single spare euro that he has. It's a very, very frustrating uh, time for particularly the single young house buyers. 0818 103 103. Now moving to a completely different topic because last Monday the Garda Commissioner Drew, Drew Harris paid a visit to Cork. It was to attend the city's Joint Policing Committee and unfortunately the Commissioner confirmed that Cork will have to wait to get its share of new Garda recruits. Fine Gael Senator Gerry Butt attended the meeting and Jerry joins me. Good morning to you, Jerry. 
Good morning, Patricia. And how are you? This I, I'm very well. I mean, you're very welcome to the programme. I heard you on our news yesterday. You felt the meeting was too short. What did you expect it to come out of the meeting? Well, it's the policing committee of the city and we won in the county as well. And it, it was an opportunity, which happens very rarely, that the Garda Commissioner attends and participates in the meeting. And in advance of the meeting, members were asked to pre-submit questions, which we did. But the meeting with the commissioner lasted just one hour. And there was no engagement in terms of back and forth with the commissioner. He, he, in fairness, received the questions in advance. He gave a reply to the questions. But to me, it was a missed opportunity because, as we know, we live in a wonderful city, in the case of Cork City. Uh, It has a tremendous offering, whether it's culture, dining, festivals, and a place to live and work and and, and socialise. And we're very proud of it. But we have challenges around the island of the city, as I call it, being an old-fashioned Corkonian, the the central part of the city. And and in advance of the meeting and ongoing, people like myself who are public representatives meet with the Cork Business Association, business owners and residents who live in the city, and, and there's, 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 I suppose, three strands to it. First is, we all want to see our city thrive, to be improved, and to do better. And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, there's a perception or there's a reality, whichever you side of the argument you come on, that there's a lack of visible guard of presence in the city. Now, that's the combination uh, of a couple of factors. One, you can't please every street corner, which we accept. Secondly, there is a, a pull factor in terms of guards being pulled here, there and everywhere. And thirdly, you can't expect the guards to do everything. But so for me, the commissioner may, I thought it was a missed opportunity is the honest answer that we could have had a real engagement with him to discuss the challenges, the threats and the opportunities, if you know okay, what I mean, did, and the positives. Did, did Drew Harris walk around the city? That I can't tell you. I, I, I certainly hope he did. Now, to be fair to Chief Superintendent Tom Myers, and, and, and the team in the city, let me say this at the, before people ring and text and say, I'm, a, I'm anti Angara Shikana. I'm actually not. The men and women of Angara Shikana do a amount of work that we should never, ever take for granted, and we should be eternally grateful for, because they are, they are putting themselves at danger every day. And I am hugely appreciative and supportive of them and what they do, and I will advocate for them at every opportunity. I, I thought it was an opportunity where we could have had the Garda Commissioner come in, engage with members of the policing forum, engage with the, the residents, the business owners, and have a conversation and a, and a, and a, and a, and a real dialogue around the city. And, and I think that was an opportunity that I didn't seem to see happen. Um, and, yeah, and, and there, was no rep- there was no reports of it. And what, what, what I would love to have seen him do as well was to meet with the members of Angarda Shia who are out on the beach, who are out on the street, who are out dealing with the crimes and get their views of what it is like on our streets. And, and that's the other point that I thought we could have had. Now, and again, look, we, we had a presentation at the meeting subsequent where, where one of the increases in crime was theft from shop. But seven out of ten uh, of those thefts are, 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 are solved. But shopkeepers, shop owners tell me that they have to hire private security companies now because of the threat to their staff and, 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 and because of theft from the shop. Which comes as well. at a cost to the business. To the business. So I know people will say that I'm being, I'm, I'm being uh, cranky and I'm being a bit pedestrian about this, but I just think that we can have the optics of the Garda Commissioner coming, which looks great. He then made a comment at the meeting where we couldn't have a debate with him was, 
it isn't about resources. He said, and I am paraphrasing, government have given me the resources. I just can't get people. I can't. It's recruitment. Mm. So th- my, my then next question would have been, if it's recruitment is the issue, how then do we make it attractive and how do we make it a, a positive career for men and women to become part of Angada Shikana? And again, you know, maybe I'm. But, they, but, my... but, but you're right, Jerry. Therein lies the problem. We are hearing about Garda morale being really low. We're hearing about people uh, resigning from the from the force. We're hearing about people as soon as they hit retirement age, they're out the door. Dot com. Whereas previously, they might have been encouraged to to stay on. And there does seem to be a huge problem with getting people to sign up to go into Templemore. And even those that go into Templemore, many of them don't don't last, they, they, they get in there and they realise, no, that, that this isn't what we want. A lot of work has to be done around that recruitment and retention issue. And then, Patricia, that segues into the next part of the conversation that we could have had was, well, Cork has to wait his turn or Cork will receive its fair share. But in the, in the case of Cork, we are, and this is not a second city syndrome, we are the next biggest urban population beyond Dublin. Therefore, that requires a specific cohort of Gardaí to be allocated and if you take the number that he said about 700 plus that were going to be available in Cork, they're not actually all available to be on street duty or on, on patrol or, or on, because there's, there's, there's the resource units, there's mobile units, there's different things that are that are taking people of a Gardaí away from the active duty in terms of on the street or, or on patrol and, and, and look, you and I both know from where we live and where we work that on the community Gardaí of a Gardaí is one of the best assets of the Gardaí. They do tremendous work, and, and they build relationships, they, they, they combat and they contract potential crime and real crime, and they do great work. But I, I just think that it was a missed opportunity, and I hate being negative, Patricia, because I'm a very proud Cork person. As you know, I'm very passionate about Cork, and I think we have to be selling our city and our county every chance we get. But I just thought this was an opportunity where for once in a year or once every number of years, the Garda Commissioner comes down, and he could have really engaged with us. I'm running against Drew Harris personally. He's a very fine person. But my point was about the, the missed opportunity we had to, to brief him, to engage with him about Cork. Yeah, you, Cork's did, yeah you, you feel like you came away a little bit deflated. I saw um, I, I, that I Helen yes. Murphy of the Cork Business Association, you know, she raised, I think, the point that if you had asked any Corkonian who... Uh, could have got to Drew Harris would have been asking the same question. She wants to know when will we see the return of active, regular and consistent Garda patrols on the Cork City Centre both on foot and uh, on on bicycles. And I know O'Connell Street in Dublin, they opened a city centre at Garda Station. Is there any hopes that Cork City could do have something similar? Was that mentioned? Well, you see, we have the Bridewell and we have Anglia City, which are in the middle of the city. So, I, I, personally, I don't subscribe to that theory of the Garda Station. What I think we need to have is what you said. is, is And we do have, you know, for example, you have Community Garda, uh, like, like Patrick Collins, for example, the Cork goalkeeper, who's a member of Garda Chicana, cycling and patrolling as part of the Community Garda operation. And you see them. But what I'm asking is, as part of the meeting we could have had, you have the daytime, you have the nighttime economy, and then you have the ongoing issues of a day-to-day city centre being managed, in particular the weekends by day, that we could have had a conversation. We could have outlined to the commissioner, you know, this is the issues. It's fine to put in a preordained question. That doesn't convey in, in, in a real way the sense of, of, of urgency of particular matters or, or the optimism in, in some cases. And we had a very fine presentation about the whole issue of, 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 of in terms of drugs, about the, the, the trip by the multi-agency task force to... Um, to Lisbon about it, mobile injecting units and, and that. And, and so there's a, 
I, I just thought, Patricia, there was a missed opportunity. We have a myriad of difficulties in the city, but we also have a huge city that's a fantastic place to live and work, but we can make it better and we can improve it. Okay, okay, and we do, um, I mean, and, and I know, I think the big, the big disappointment was for people was they were hoping that Drew Harris was going to come down and say we were going to get X number of uh, extra Gardaí. And I see in the papers today that Gardaí numbers here nationwide, this isn't just here in Cork, it's uh, right across the country, we're actually below the European average. We have 291 members of Angarda Siakona for every 100,000 people. But if you compare that to the EU average, it's in the EU, it's 328 police officers for every 100,000. And that's in the 35 countries in Europe. So we are we are down on numbers. Yeah. And he did say that because you have retirement, you have, you know, people who move on to different careers. Uh, and, and we have around 14,000 members of Angarda Siakona. And he mentioned 700 odd in Cork which is a big number. But it's, again, the other part of the conversation that we need to have in, in a more general one is then about personal responsibility around antisocial behaviour, around the use of drugs and illegal drugs and that. But that's a different conversation, Patricia. But for me, I, I, as somebody who's passionate about Cork, who thinks we, we live in the best part of the world, uh, it's about making sure that we can do things better. And again, linked to that then is the whole thing about city council and, and the street cleaning and the, and, and, and the removal of dereliction. And so on. I know there's a program of work on that, but it, it was a combination of, of events that I think last Monday was an opportunity we could have done a better okay. job. And let me say this, Councillor Damien Boylan did a great job steering it, and my comments are not a criticism of him. It's just that the Garda Commission stayed for Norm was gone. Okay. It was mostly, it was an optic thing for me that was not what I wanted to see happen. Missed opportunity. It about, it's certainly a, yeah, a missed yeah. opportunity. Okay, we leave it there, Jerry. Thank you for that, and thanks for taking thanks time out to talk to us. Thank you for having me on. Good morning to you. That is uh, Cork Bay Senator uh, Jerry Bottomer. He's a lovely WhatsApp in uh, from Tony and Chris O'Flynn to say thanks to all at C103 for giving us tickets to Rod Stewart last night. We had the best night. It sounded like it was a terrific night because I know our own Ken Tobin from The Breakfast Show was there, kind of part of the warm-up as people were heading into the event. And he said the atmosphere there was absolutely electric. And there's a really good review in the Examiner uh, this morning that he banged out hit after hit after hit. So people certainly enjoyed it. And of course, for anybody who's going uh, tonight, uh, you'll know now as he, he puts on a brilliant, brilliant show. So thank you to uh, Tony and Chris uh, for sending on that email. We're glad that you had a good night and indeed hope all of our winners who won tickets to go along and see Rod Stewart live at the Marquee enjoyed the gig. We heard from Senator Jerry Bottomer who was attended that meeting uh, where Drew Harris, the Garda Commissioner, was in attendance and uh, unfortunately we found out that Cork will have to wait to get its share of new Garda recruits. He says Drew Harris was saying not to do with nothing to do with resources. It's literally down to uh, they don't have a number of recruits coming through Temple Moore so there's a shortage of uh, Gardaí uh, qualifying. But John O'Donovan has contacted us, who in the meantime, while we await the arrival of our share of Garda recruits, he and some friends have uh, come up with a way of helping uh, people. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I, I, I'm very well, and, and I really like the idea of this. T- tell me what you're doing and how it all came about. Well, how it came about, um, a lot of context here during the water campaign there, and then um, one or two of our members was approached by people there from north and south of the river and they were in a bit of distress and they wouldn't be able to do it themselves because they're of an age um, and friends of theirs and uh, neighbours um, are now terrified which uh, had been going to the, the main GPO inside in the city centre. Some people like to keep their pension there for all the years because what they do then, they do a bit of shopping and then we come to pennies, they go into other shops or whatever. 
but they were afraid to go in and could we do anything for them. So we had a chat amongst ourselves. So we came up with the idea that we'd uh, kind of start um, a mini chaperone system so where we would uh, make contact with the person. We didn't know these people from Adam. We met them, they're lovely people. And um, I'm doing it and there's another guy doing it. What we do is we arrange to meet them off the bus. We bring them then over to the GPO. We swear our side because there's their own personal business, what they're doing at the counter. We didn't wait till they come out. And then whatever shops they wanted, went to, then we escort them into the shops. We walk with them in the streets. And then when they're finished a bit of business, they want to go for a cup of tea, grand, the whole lot, we do that. And then we'll escort them and we'll stand with them and wait for them while they want to get their bus back home again. And if necessary, we'll stay on the bus with them if they feel a bit vulnerable or anything. And we'll get off and we'll escort them home, right? But, I mean, has it come to this, Patricia, that no people have to volunteer, no, to chaperone elderly people, and not so elderly people, people that feel vulnerable, that have medical conditions and stuff, because they no longer feel safe in the streets of Cork City. What happened on Monday night, I can only describe as a 100% fast with Drew Harris, the commissioner, coming down. It was a box-ticking exercise, Patricia. That's all it was. The, the meeting went on for plenty for two hours. He only stayed there for an hour. He was only responding to a list of prepared questions. Yeah, I have to say, I felt a, dis- a bit disappointed when I heard Jerry say they had to submit the questions in advance and they were the only questions he answered. So that gave no, no opportunity to say, well, excuse me, when he said something, to say, well, excuse me now, Commissioner Harris, can you expand on that? Or, you know, I don't agree or I do agree. I, I was disappointed with that aspect of it. Yeah, and I mean, it's just a crazy setup because the people that submitted, submitted the questions were actually present at the meeting and he would just read out the question and gave his answer to it. But the person that submitted the question in the first place was present there. And they weren't engaged with how they would stand up. No, I suppose they could have stood up if they wanted it. Like, that was up to themselves. But, I mean, it was a bit ridiculous. I mean, Patricia, was it not? Like, to have to submit, uh, number one, a list of questions. That, that this, should have been, this meeting should have been totally organic. Mm. People should be allowed to ask a question and he should have to think And also to explain why you're asking that particular question. There's obviously a, re- a reason for it. And, and, disip- and it looks like we can't get any confirmation. It doesn't look like, for example, he walked around the city. He wasn't shown any of the hot spots where antisocial behaviour happens. No, he no. didn't appear to get the opportunity to talk to the Gardaí who are dealing regularly with this antisocial behaviour. And I tell you, he's not, he's not too popular within the force because Gas has said to me after record, like, I mean, that they don't rate him. And one girl well, well, that said to me... Well, that'll be... They'll always, that's a personal thing, though. There'll always be people who don't, who don't like their boss. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go down that route. But I do think Jerry Buttermer is right. It was a missed opportunity. But come here, go back to your chaperoning. Do you know mm-hmm. how, many, how, how many of you are involved in this? Well, so far, there, there, there will be a tall person joining it shortly. So that, that means three, right? And we hope to expand it, like the more we're contacted. Like, I mean, if anyone is in a vulnerable position or does feel nervous about going into town, even at night, and like, I mean, we will meet them, you know what I mean? If there was, like, the, there was, going back to about six, seven weeks ago, there was two ladies there contacted a friend of mine. And um, they wanted to go for a meal in town, but they were afraid to go into town at night and again because they hear so much about it. The lack of police on the streets, the yellow jackets, the bodies on the streets. And they were afraid to go in. So um, this person, like him in our group, met him and um, brought him in. 
and uh, collected them after and brought them home. But otherwise, it's, it's, they would have not have went well, into town. Well done, I have to say. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, well, well done. I do, are you seeing a lot of antisocial behaviour on the streets? Well, it's it's nearly well over 20 years ago, I'd say, since Noel Oughlin there. He was a TD, if I remember, from the north side there. Yeah. And uh, he brought in a boiler, in fairness to him, like I mean, and it's an outlawed street drinking completely. I remember. But yes, yeah. I see street drinking every single day inside in town. Whether it is on the boardwalk by the Grand Parade, there's constantly also deals where that misfortune and accident happened the other night, or not accident, I mean incident, where a man lost his life. Where a man died, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, been buried, yeah, yeah. I think, and today. If, 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 if and, and it's a terrible thing, I have to say it, but if the street drinking laws were implemented properly, again, of course, getting down to the lack of bodies, thanks to Drew Harris, thanks to the politicians, like that man would possibly be alive today. But everywhere you go inside in town, they're drinking all over the streets. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but as the Cork Business Association said at that meeting, what they want to see is a return to active, regular and consistent Garda patrols. Once upon a time, there was Garda patrols. This this city was pretty spread out. It was a hell of a lot younger politician in the 70s. When we had no street drinking, we had no drugs, there was very little antisocial behaviour. But now that we've reached this in past now, I mean, there just don't seem to be any policing there. I now see a situation, and obviously they've got a directive, like, I mean, the guards on the beach, and I've observed this myself and listened in, where now if there's a shoplifter's cut, and I was present there, and the security guy was there, now I've heard every single thing was said. The guards are no, rather than bring them back because there's not enough girls in the street. They're no, I never thought I'd see the day. The girls would be actually dealing and compromising on the street with criminals. They no say, give us an undertaking now that you will stay clear of that shop and we won't arrest you. I mean, this is ridiculous. Like him. You know girls and they're actually compromising on the street with criminals. And I, and I know the guard, will tell you themselves, the amount of paperwork that they're tied up with as well and I don't know yeah. if you watched that programme on Virgin Media Dublin After Dark did you see that yeah, the other night yeah, yeah. that was scary and it just struck me we're probably if, if I was I'm, I'm not out and about uh, late at night in the city but we're, it's probably other parts of Cork City witnessing the very same but you see the, the yeah. problem is like, I mean, Patricia, we have three of the, the most high profile politicians in the country Michael Martin Simon Coveney and the Minister of Finance Michael McGrath we might as well have nobody representing Cork because these are three high profile players yeah, but, right? but, but, but I don't think you point the finger of blame at any of the politicians I mean if our own guard the Commissioner Drew Harris saying that this is not about resources we have the money this is about recruits how do we get new recruits into Temple Moor and the Gardaí that we have morale seems to be very low how do we get them to stay? Well, morale is low because it was allowed to get as low as it is because guards have taught me again after record, like, I mean, they're just fed up of it completely. There's guards, I mean, there's a, a, I think there's over 100 guards, if not more, left last year to do all the things because they're just basically fed up of it. Like, But at the end of the day, between Drew Hallis, he's the commissioner, Patricia, and the politicians, I mean, Drew Hallis wasn't elected by the public, but the people of Cork elected those three politicians I just named, and all the other politicians around the country, right? So the book stops with the person that's elected to serve the people of this country and to provide a proper police service. Well, and at least they're getting the body there. cams, because I know the Gardaí have been screaming out looking for the body cams. That might give them a little bit of protection. 
Yeah, well, I'm all, I, I've no problem with the body cams. I mean, but uh, I mean, as long as like, I mean, they're used properly, like, and they're not abused or anything. But uh, but what you're going to have, then you see you're going to people whipping out their mobile phones now, and if the cop is going to start filming, the individual is going to start filming. But so right? that's so, happening. That's happening all the time. And yeah, what we yeah. are then seeing online is out of context. Because obviously, yeah. if I'm filming you, I'm only going to post up online what I want people to see. I'm not going to show what happened before or what happened after. Course, yeah. At least the Gardaí with the body cam, they have some protection uh, for themselves. But, anyway, but I, yeah, just, just a final point. Yeah. I, I think what happened on Monday night, as I said, was an absolute fast. Like, okay. well, the, the commissioner came all the way to the court for a meeting and, and didn't walk the streets, didn't engage with anyone, didn't take any open questioning from the floor. I mean, it was a box-ticking exercise. Like, And he won't be back for a hell of a long time again. OK. Listen, um, um, I can see people saying what a great idea that chaperoning uh, one is. Well, uh, well done to you on it. And, yeah, uh, and, you. and we have your number if anybody's interested either in getting involved or in particular if somebody's looking for your help if they're just a bit afraid going in and out of the city yeah, centre. No John, yeah. thanks for that Thank and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, that is John O'Donovan 0818 103 Some more of your calls that have been coming in. Oh, this is on the funding of of uh, the um, the gay rights parades, isn't it? Sorry, uh, this is Nancy and Bantry said, I heard Deputy Mick Barry on the news talking about a crisis that Cork County and Cork City Councils were not giving enough money for the Cork Pride parades. It seems both councils combined have given a total of 8,000 euro. However, Nancy feels if organisations are hosting parades they should be able to secure funding themselves. With so many problems the council having to face, be it on housing and roads, uh, etc. Surely they have enough on their plate without having to hand out and spend money on parades. So Nancy said if somebody wants to run run a parade, be it a St. Patrick's Day parade, a summer parade or in this case a pride uh, parade, the organisers surely should make sure that they have enough money and not be relying on the council. And then if there is any funding that the council can give after us, that should be considered a bonus. But they shouldn't be running these parades on the back of wanting funding from the council. 0818 103 103. And uh, oh... Anybody help with this? This comes up again. This is one of these ones that comes up kind of every year. I have a problem with crows picking at my windows. Uh, What can I do, please? Will you call it out on your show? We certainly have had that in in the past. So... I just can't remember what some of the possible solutions were. So what we would love to hear from is somebody who's had the same problem, came up with the solution and it actually worked. The problem with crows picking at somebody's window. I think it's something to do with their reflection, isn't it? They're seeing their own reflection and they're kind of attacking themselves. I think it's another bird open to correction. But I think that's the reason that they do it. So if anybody has a solution to stop crows picking at one of our listeners' windows, let us know. 0818 103 103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An experienced painter is wanted to work for Everfresh Solutions. They're based in Butterfield. You must have your own transport. Phone 087-623-6197. A minibus driver is wanted for the month of July. Now, it's to cover July education summer camp in the Charleville area. John, as you contacted, 087-215-4385. A full-time internal sales coordinator is wanted in Mallow. Email douglas at acravet.ie. And truck drivers are wanted for a ready-mix plant in Canturk. 
You need a full C licence. Email your CV, please, to hr at twoconconcrete.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, at the end of the first week of the Leaving Cert exams this year, there was shock and outrage over the difficulty of paper one of higher level maths, with one parent telling us that he felt that there had been a death at his son's school when he went to collect him after the exam. Such was the scene he witnessed with all of the students in tears. Irish Examiner Special Correspondent Mick Clifford has been writing a piece online uh, asking, has today's youth been conditioned to inflate every disappointment into a trauma? And Mick Clifford uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Mick. Morning, Patricia. Uh, an excellent piece, uh, by the way, I have to say. We have we have heard of a principal writing to the exam uh, commission saying shame on them. We had the Minister for Education accused of driving a bus, jumping off and then driving the students over the cliff. Are adults in the equation here completely overreacting to what ultimately was a tough exam paper? Well, I think so, Patricia. And even the example you gave there, I mean, the notion that a parent would describe the atmosphere there as if somebody had died, I mean, that's frightening of itself. And if students are overreacting in the first instance, and well, sorry, maybe overreacting isn't the best term, but if they're reacting in a way that suggests something very traumatic has just occurred, then it is the older people, my generation, effectively, I'm, the, I'm a parent of, of teenagers who I think, need to look at themselves and wonder why is that younger generation being conditioned to think in this manner? Just a couple of things about it. First of all, one would have thought that the first reaction, if we anyone saw uh, students coming out of that in a bad way, would be to reassure and say, it does not matter. And ultimately, it doesn't, because I am very confident that when the results come out in August, this will not feature at all. And I think that uh, we've been reassured of that by a number of people who are familiar with the marking system. So that's the first thing. It is not a big deal. And secondly, the issue arises that if this is the kind of reaction to an exam paper, well, how are these teenagers, when they're older, going to face into the very difficult and really traumatic aspects of life that we all have to deal with Mm. at various stages going through life if this is their reaction to an exam paper. And again, I'm not blaming the students or them. I'm saying that it's my generation that need to look at ourselves and whether, for example, this concept of helicopter parenting is to blame for the kind of reactions that are now engendered. Now, sorry, apart from that, there is also a separate issue about the Leaving Cert itself yeah. and the emphasis that is put on it. That, I think, that yeah, that, and, and that, I think, is probably the, the, the bigger question. It all comes back to the exam, which is almost at this stage uh, archaic. And I understand why it was introduced. It was to stop rich people buying their children into college. So mm. the, the system seemed very fair. But that whole points uh, race that all needs to be completely overhauled and examined. And the way the way we ask our young people to go through five, six years of secondary school and then it all hinges on three hours of an exam. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's crazy. And, and in, in, in a week when there was, was an awful lot of hyperbole, one of, of the most sensible things I heard came from the president of the Technology University of Dublin, David Fitzpatrick. And he referenced this pressure cooker leaving certain the point system. And he suggested that there needs to be an expansion of the routes that uh, students have to get into third level. There's a, you know, well over half of all students are now going into third level. And why, for example, if I want to study, oh, I don't know, the humanities, or if I have a particular interest in, uh, for example, say, uh, veterinary or something like that, why I need to get top marks in other subjects that have nothing to do with it uh, and that kind of thing. And as you say, like the, the system was devised to make it fair, but I think we're well heading at least 50 years down the line from that. And it's time to reassess, particularly in light of, I suppose, in some areas, more enlightened thought about these issues and also the realization that people, the, the, the jobs market and what people may want to do has completely transformed and changed and that we should have a, a, a better pathway towards what people might want to do rather than subjecting them to this pressure cooker thing. And it is pressure. It is huge pressure that's exerted um, both by the system and as a result, the, the students themselves feel that pressure. And I don't think it's doing anybody any favours. Yeah, and we all do our bit, I think, in, in media in the days leading up to the exam, you know, constantly telling people you're not defined mm. by your exam and don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, and all of us sat the leaving cert and, you know, while, while I still get the nightmare every year when the leaving cert I'll have a dream at some stage during the week that I sit on an exam that I don't know anything uh, so we all still have a little bit of a hang up of how how we felt during the exam none of us were under the pressure that today's young people uh, are under but I worry Mick when I heard parents uh, with their reaction to this paper talking about their children's mental health over an exam uh, paper that's a real worry Absolutely. And I mean, the, 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 there's two things at issue there. I think on, in the positive sense, today we have far greater cognizance of the fact that mental health is so vital and that how people can, people's mental health can be affected in various ways through genuine trauma in particular in, in childhood, but throughout life, you know, the, the, at least the, there is still a long way to go. And I, I have written a number of times about the shortcomings in relation to treating mental health in this country. But at least we have a more enlightened approach than we did going back 30, 40 years and telling people to pull themselves together and mm. what have you. The other side of that coin, though, is, as you referenced it there, Patricia, have we now got to the stage that we try to ensure that younger people avoid any kinds of stress rather than finding the... the, the Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Uh, the capabilities of coping with various stresses and therefore building up resilience. And that, I think, is, is one of the worries I personally would have is the capacity for resilience of younger people. I question whether it is any way strong as it should be. And particularly, they are facing far greater stresses than my generation did when you throw in the likes of, for example, climate change. Yeah, that's going yeah. to come on them worse than anyone. When you throw in this kind of point system, uh, the, the, the growing generational inequality in wealth and uh, heightened expectations and all those things, they, to me, of them, uh, uh, in, in terms of the society of itself, are under far more pressure than my generation were, notwithstanding better, in general sense, a better material uh, circumstances for most people because the country has got wealthier. But it, 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 if they have to face into that, without being conditioned with the kind of resilience that they'll need, that comes back on the older generation. And I, I, I think we probably need to ask ourselves some questions about that. Yeah, yeah I mean, only this morning we were discussing how a single uh, solo a purchaser of a house has to earn €67,000 before they'd even be considered for a small uh, mortgage. And you're just thinking that's the generation that this, the, young pe- that the young people who are in school today, that's what they're heading into, a housing market uh, the, way, the, uh, the way it is. And I don't want to take away from the Leaving Cert students. I'm very conscious that this is the class that didn't sit junior cert. So this was their first state exam. They didn't sit junior cert because of COVID. Absolutely. And I, I, I mentioned that I would be very conscious of that. However, I would also say that um, and media, perhaps us in the media have sometimes for this, but then you have social media and all that. If, for example, this had not been a higher leaving cert maths paper and, 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 you know, you have to accept that those sitting higher leaving cert maps would be uh, academically perhaps in, in the high in in the top half of yeah. all students sitting exam. If this had been Pass Irish, if this had been a paper in the Leaving Cert applied, would there have been the same hullabaloo? And that's an issue over the inequities in the system and the emphasis that is placed on high achievement rather than 
merely students achieving to their greatest potential. And, you know, personally, I think that's an issue as well that goes to the heart of the inequalities in the system. Equally, you would find that proportionately those who are doing leaving cert maths probably come from non-DESH schools. Yeah, now, that yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with intelligence or anything. It has to do with resources and application and what have you. So there again, would there have been as big a deal made of things if it had been one of the other papers that perhaps were, were dealing with with um, sit, being sat by students who perhaps were not in the highest achieving po- in points terms um, in, in, in the system. Very valid point. Uh, as I say, make a great piece. What reaction did you get to it, by the way? I suppose it was just a bit mixed. And, was it? Uh, well, to be, uh, well, well, the other aspect is this, look, to be straight up with you, in terms of social media, people very often, in the vast majority of cases, if you ask me in social media, read a headline, form an opinion, they don't bother reading the piece and they throw it out there and they may be carrying their own prejudice or whatever with it, but it's not really a reflection of the piece. But I, I, there's a lot of also, I think, positive uh, response from people suggesting that, um, and hopefully, and this is not big enough, but hopefully there's a small bit of food for thought or, yeah. or, or people might have um, think twice about the whole scenario. Yeah, thought it was a fantastic piece. I think you nailed it. Well done. Listen, Mick, I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you for that. Thanks for, Thanks for joining us. That is Mick Clifford, who is the Irish Examiner's uh, special uh, correspondent on a piece that went up online on Sunday, I think. Uh, I read it. Today's youth, have they become conditioned to inflate every disappointment into a trauma? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Now, it's not often you hear that an agricultural mart is to be the venue for a concert. In fact, I don't think I've ever covered such an event before on the programme. So, joining me in studio is North Cork Councillor Bernard Moynihan with details of a midsummer concert that's going to be held in Canturk Mart with all of the proceeds going to Marymount Hospital and uh, Hospice. Uh, good morning to you Bernard. Good morning Patricia, how uh, are you? And you're very, I'm very well. I'm, I'm intrigued by this particular event. Take me back and tell me how we came about. Well we were involved in the Morris O'Keefe Festival in Kisgame, a hugely successful festival, um, I mean promoting Sleeve Lucre music and the Mart came in and sponsoring the Morris O'Keefe Festival and we called to the Mart to collect our cheque and the Mart said uh, there was a person with us whose father died in, in, in Marymount and was, was very proud of Marymount, what he did for his dad. And on, the Mart said, why not we do something for Marymount? And after the Morris O'Keefe Festival, we met the Mart, met the Mart, the manager, Seamus O'Keefe and his committee and so forth. And we discussed it with them. And this has been going on for a number of months. And now <coughs> that's how it all came about. And they had done this previously about 12 years ago with Liam O'Connor, where they raised the ring by three feet. Okay. They're raising the ring at the mart. It's re- a real teeter inside in the mart. It's normally for the sale of cattle, but this See, time it's for the, music. The, there's tiered. I've never been in now, Cantor Marsh, but uh, there's tiered seating. I assume absolutely that, tiered seating. Yeah. You can see it on Facebook last night. They sold a bullock yesterday in Cantor Mart for Marymount Hospice, and George Ryan, a cattle dealer from Bantier, a very well known and well liked, respected man, bought the bullock. His dad and my dad were great friends, <coughs> and and the, the two thousand four, I think two thousand three hundred euro went straight into the the coffers of Marymount. 
hospital. And was that donated? Donated, money yeah. straight into the... Yeah, the but cough. the bullock was donated yes. for... Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. They sold the bullock yesterday in Cantork Mart. It was a hugely exciting, trilling in the ring. But I'm really looking forward to Saturday night. There are a great, fantastic committee involved. The whole Mart committee and the whole Mart staff are, are working flat out for the next few days, organising the venue and so forth. And I think they should be acknowledged for the yeah. work that they do. But Because I, they have, at the end of the day, they have to turn what is a Mart for live animals. They have to now turn it into a venue where people can sit down and enjoy. Absolutely. Yeah, it takes they have a to, lot they have of to work. transform it from yesterday selling cattle yeah. to a concert so, on Saturday yeah, night. Yeah. So th- there's a huge amount of work going on right now in Cantork, painting, cr- decorating. Well done. You know, and we've there is. I think it's go- like there's huge talent in Duhalla. There's mm. huge talent musicians, and, and it's the cream of local talent. That's the, what you're aiming this at. Absolutely, yeah. the cream of local talent uh, are playing, uh, performing, harpists, uh, violinists, fiddle players, musicians. It's going to be DMC. Is going to be Ella Marie O'Dwyer who was involved in Morris Key Festival who was an excellent operator and that's all this is all going to happen and as well as that there's huge sponsorship the people building Sar- building Bella McQuirk Sorensen's engineering gave us a thousand euro no problem getting no sponsorship problem. no problem yeah. Callaghan's Cantork uh, garage money uh, Eamon Tarrant in, in Bantier and the Market Motorworks they are our four main sponsors we have six hotel breaks then to, 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 to this is a raffle is this is this separate is this raffle going to be held on the night or how does the raffle we're work we're selling raffle tickets as, okay. as we speak and it's about three or four thousand euro worth of raffle tickets they've all to be into the mart by two o'clock on Saturday but there's six prizes hotel breaks in the River Lee hotel in Dublin a trip to the Dáil a couple of hotels in West Cork and there are people as we speak coming into the mart giving uh, spot prizes <coughs> local businesses and, and so forth so it's a hugely exciting project it's hugely exciting for the people and what we're coming across Patricia across Duhalo is a huge amount of families who've been impacted and helped by Marymount in a variety of ways and people I suppose people are also saying hopefully they'll never have to, to need it but they also really I, I'm just amazed at the goodwill towards Marymount Hospice by the people we're dealing with Yeah I mean I don't think there there isn't a family that hasn't been in some way touched by uh, cancer you mightn't be directly uh, they might directly have used Marymount Hospice but it's that peace of mind knowing that if God forbid Bernard any of us or any of our family members need a Marymount Absolutely, it's, it's Patricia. knowing it's there. It's Absolutely, it's there. the goodwill and people have been benefited. And people came up to us yesterday. A farmer came up to us in Cantork and said, "My sister was well looked after in Marymount. Mm. I think he was in Clandroghead in Macroom." But like you know, across every the, the goodwill, and we're all hoping now. There's a lot of like the logistics of what we're, you know, Patricia. I think we might be very ambitious here. The logistics of what we're doing yeah. is putting a. a a platform inside in a ring. We have about 10 different acts. We have to change microphones and change different things between the different acts and so forth. Bring up accordions, bring up all this kind of stuff. So it's it's a really the people... And do it as smooth sailing as you possibly can <laughs> because people have paid to come into a concert. <laughs> yeah. So you've so got to keep it flowing and keep it going. Absolutely. So yeah. Pat Fleming 
He's a kind of a, a local musician based in Duhalla and he's a super operator, super organiser and he's involved in the organisation of this with um, Ellen Marie O'Dwyer. So they will be running the... They It'll are, run like clockwork, they I won't, I don't, I don't yeah. think they're sleeping at the moment yeah. because they have to... <laughs> this all has to happen inside in the ring of a mart. We have... Yeah. And we have but but I, I have to be honest, Patricia, it's a huge... It's, it's just a great buzz. There's a great buzz around the place at the moment and I really enjoyed the buzz yesterday in the mart in Cantor. Brilliant. And uh, tickets are still on sale for the concert on Saturday? Absolutely. Okay, but they are selling very quickly. Very so quickly. People, so where do people get tickets? They get them in the mart and, and shops all over Duhalla, the, the florists in Cantork, you know, different tiger tiger rides in the market. Okay, and uh, they, 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 the tickets for that are, tw- are 20 euro. And then is the raffle separate? The raffle is separate. Okay. You can buy a ticket for tw- 10 euro or three for 20. And the raffle is huge. It's, it's bringing in huge money. Uh, the raffle, and we're hoping, like we, we have to be, I suppose, we're hoping to raise somewhere close to 15,000. That might be ambitious, but like we've already nearly five in between, maybe more between the raffle and the bullock. Well done. So we're, we're, we're hoping to, we're hoping to present a check in the ring of Cantork Mart. Be very, CO3 would be very welcome on the day to You're come and meet kind. us. We'd be delighted to have you in the Martin Cantork for the presentation. And I, I, I think I want to take this opportunity, Patricia, to compliment Pat Fleming and Seamus Keefe and his Mart committee in Cantork and his staff. Uh, they're excellent people. Yeah, and we know, as I say, we know how important Marymount is and we know how much they rely on fundraising. So listen, well done to everybody in, involved. Good luck with it on Saturday night. It sounds like it's going to be a fantastic night for everybody going along uh, because of the amount of talent that is involved as well. And thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Claire is on to say, delighted to hear that Taylor Swift is coming to Ireland, but my God, I cannot believe that the Dublin hoteliers are already putting their prices up and this is starting to really uh, generate uh, ire amongst a number of people. I've even seen on the news wires even the um, Minister for the Environment Eamon Ryan is out about this and this is to do with hotels in Dublin have been warned that they are creating very bad blood after several hotels decided to hike up their prices not just by a few euro in some cases they put up their prices by hundreds of euros when Taylor Swift announced that she was coming to Dublin as part of her world uh, tour. Just hours after she announced her dates and it is a long-awaited return for Taylor Swift uh, fans. Her coming back to Dublin rates shot up in a number of hotels for the two dates in June next year. And we're back once again to the ac- accusations of some, and I'll say some, and it does seem to be a Dublin issue more than an issue around the country, of price gouging. The Department of Tourism has condemned the hikes. They're warning that they're causing reputational damage, to, to the hotel sector in Ireland and not just to the hotel sector but also they're doing damage to Ireland's reputation globally for offering value for money. Now Taylor Swift has announced that she will play to her Irish fans on the 28th and 29th of June so kind of around this week, next week next year. It's not until uh, 2024. She'll be playing in the Aviva Stadium in uh, Dublin. It's been six years since she last played in Ireland. She hit a gig in 2018 but that was in uh, Croke Park. She's moving to the Aviva for these two uh, concerts. They reckon over 100,000 Swifties that's what Taylor Swift fans are known as 100,000 Swifties will descend on Dublin uh, to see her. Now if you live in Dublin that's fine you can go home after us but what about us 
down the country. What about the Swifties from Cork who want to go to Dublin and would like to stay the night and have a, you know, a really nice night uh, out away? And there is expected to be an influx of uh, visitors because you'll also get people from overseas, genuine Taylor Swift fans who will probably follow her around Europe. So you'll have people overseas as well. So demand for accommodation in the capital is going to be very, very high on both of those two dates. And the example that is being used of a hotel putting up their price is the Ivy Garden Hotel in Harcourt Street in Dublin. And the Irish Daily Mail are writing about it today that what they decided to do when Taylor Swift announced the concerts, they decided that they would go online and try and book a room. And they tried to uh, book a triple room for one of the Taylor Swift dates for next year and they were quoted €999. So just under €8,000 for a triple room for either the 28th or the 29th. However, then when they decided to book the same room next week, 28th or 29th for this year, they could get the same room for €359. So it goes from €359 to €999. That is incredible. Cahill Crow is the... uh, Fianna Fáil TD from Clare. He says it's becoming almost impossible for people from rural Ireland to enjoy any kind of a night out in uh, the capital. He says we've got to call it out for what it is. And Cahill Crow, Fianna Fáil TD, said it is simply price gouging. And he said a few greedy hoteliers are giving a bad name to the industry uh, overall. And I also saw Rose Conway Walsh, she's Sinn Féin's public expenditure spokesperson. She's also called out the prices as being disgraceful. She said she fully supports the law of supply and demand. And that's what happens. I think prices do go up when when there is um, supply and demand uh, issue. And she said, whatever about hotels, might add on, you know, and it's small additional margin. But she says, you know, when it's these prices are simply unacceptable. I mean, this is multiples of what the room would charge. They would get for the room on a normal Friday or Saturday night and suddenly there's a concert in town and they shoot up by literally hundreds. And the UK and Europe leg of Taylor Swift's tour starts on the 9th of May next year and then it runs throughout the month of May, June, July and actually wraps up in Paris on August, um, or sorry, no, it moves on to Paris. It wraps up uh, in London on the 17th. It starts in Paris and wraps up in London. So it'll be going right across Europe, uh, Taylor Swift. And I guarantee you this time next year we will be talking about people who, because they either couldn't get a room a reasonably priced room at a, at a hotel in Dublin or else they weren't willing to pay the exorbitant prices and that instead they bought a ticket to one of the Taylor Swift concerts either in the UK or across Europe and with flights and hotel they'll st- still work out cheaper. I bet you any money we will get examples of that because that has happened before when we have had an international act playing here and when the hotel prices go up we'll have somebody saying okay let me go online let me see how much would a flight to Paris be on the 9th of May can I get a cheap B&B somewhere because the other other main 
capital cities don't seem to do the same thing that we do here. Every time we get an international act, the prices just seem to rocket up. But I mean, this is way over, uh, way more than double what the price of the room would be from one year uh, to the next. And as I say, Eamon Ryan was asked about it uh, this morning. He's uh, the Minister for the Environment and he says when he was quoted the example of that particular he- hotel, he said it's absolutely shocking. It's it's not worth it is what he said. And then he was asked to talk about the VAT rate because remember the hotel sector fought really hard to keep the VAT rate down at 9% and not have it brought back up to 13 which is it's expected to do in September. And price gouging was mentioned last year when they looked at putting the VAT back up. And of course, it isn't every hotel, but unfortunately, when a few hotels do it, that's what gives everybody a bad bad rep and a bad reputation. And we lose our reputation from people overseas then go back saying, oh, Ireland was really expensive. 0818 103 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 086 103103. It is Wednesday, so Peter Dowdell will be joining us in the next hour if you've got a gardening question. And don't forget, we also have tickets to give away to the National Menopause Summit, which is coming to Cork in October. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. All this week, we have been given tickets to the National Menopause Summit. Summit, which is coming to Cork in October on the Friday, uh, the 20th of October, uh, when the summit will be advocating for change. And we have a pair of balcony tickets to give away to go along to the National Menopause uh, Summit. So we're going to open the text and WhatsApp for about five minutes. If you would like to go along or you know somebody who would really like to go along and learn more about menopause in October, I need you to text the word HOT along with your name and address to 0862103103. You can text our WhatsApp at, OK, the word HOT, along with your name and address to 0862103103. And the National Menopause uh, Summit, they had their inaugural one in Dublin back in March and it was such a success that they decided to bring it to Cork. So it's coming to Cork. It's going to be on in the Cork City Hall on Friday the 20th of October. And it's a full day masterclass on everything to do with the uh, menopause um, and there's going to be lots of guest speakers and they'll do things like debunking the myths and the uh, taboo- taboos and you can find out more and you can also purchase tickets by going online to the nationalmenopausesummit.com but we have a free pair of tickets to give away today on the programme and actually we'll do it every day for the rest of this week so get texting or whatsapping the word HOT to 086 103 along with your name and address and we'll pick our winner in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, let me go to some of your texts that are coming in. Somebody was on to us about Live at the Marquee. Where's that? Oh yeah. Hi Patricia. I'm just wondering, is it possible that Live at the Marquee is on in Cork on this Saturday at the same time as the Cork versus Roscommon football game. The reason I ask is it can be hard enough to get in and out of Cork when a match is on let alone when two events are going to be on at the same time and the same day and unfortunately you're going to have to prepare for very heavy traffic in the city because we've checked Live at the Marquee is on this Saturday they've got their one 
Day Festival and doors are opening or the gates are opening at 2pm for live at the Marquee so the match is going to be on at the same time that the Marquee is on and all we'll, all we've been warned is for people heading to that area to expect heavy traffic in and around uh, the city so that's as much as we can do uh, just allow yourself extra time and lots and lots of patience 0818103103 some of your other calls and texts coming into the programme we, I spoke with Mick Clifford on his views on the Leaving Cert and he wrote an on kind of an op-ed piece that was on the Irish Examiner at the weekend where he was talking about young people today and are, are we as parents not instilling enough resilience in our young people because of the reactions to the Leaving Cert higher paper one in maths. It was a stinker of a paper by all accounts. Even teachers were giving out about it but it was the reaction afterwards and it's got Mick just getting the conversation around the whole thing around the the pressure cooker that is the Leaving Cert which I've had a huge problem with uh, for many, many years and I have nothing but sympathy for students as they face in to those exams because it's very different to when I even sat my uh, Leaving Cert with all the pressure that goes with it with points race and all of that and everything else that's going on in life at the moment. But he was just questioning, do we need to step back and look at our young people today? And as parents, are we heli- heli- what is it, they, helicoptering parenting where you're, or the other one is the snowplough, snowplowing parents where we're almost trying to get rid of every kind of anxiety and stress and that we don't teach children resilience. Anyway, a couple of comments in on that. Hi, Patricia. I've never heard such stupid comments coming out of anyone as what came out of Mick Clifford today. If Mick Clifford had spent the level of time that the students had spent in the lead up to that exam, they might he might then understand why they were so stressed at the end of it. And Eileen said, Patricia, leaving Sir Matt's paper one was just so hard. Thank God it wasn't my first uh, exam as we as students were in such a state after it, talking about mental health issues. It was just so stressful. Even the teachers at our school said it was very difficult. I hope they mark it easier. I got a H2 in maths for my pre's and I'll be lucky to pass them this time around. You'll be fine, Eileen. And will you make me a promise that you'll go back and tell me how well you got on in it? Because because there was such, that's the, the one thing, there, there was such a hoo-ha about the exam and so many people came out publicly and were, were talking about how difficult the paper was. The Examinations Commission, they take that on board and I know I heard one maths teacher who's part of that panel and, and who will be correcting papers. It will be very much taken into uh, account and the papers will be marked much easier than they would be on another than say the second paper will be so please God you will be fine and they're saying that no student is going to lose out and all we can do is hope and trust them 0818 103 103 Michael Ingrena was on he was reacting to a comment that I read out earlier from Anne Anne was on to us about her electricity bill and was asking had others noticed how high the electricity bill was gone that she couldn't get over hers at a time of the year normally where she doesn't use as much electricity as she does in the winter months and she couldn't believe how high her bill is and she was saying the government need to do something to get onto the utility companies to start passing on some kind of a cut in the price we pay for electricity. Mick listened to Anne's comment with interest and he said only over the weekend he and a group of his friends were chatting obviously 
the electricity bills are starting to uh, arrive. And Michael said the conversation he got into, some people thought that the credit was going missing. These are people who are on prepaid power. But Michael said it's not. It's just electricity has gone up so much in price. He has noticed that normally the bills at this time of the year and into the summer months are way less because obviously they're using electricity, less electricity in the home. But he said the bill that he has just received is as high as any bill he would have got in very cold winter months and that's what we are going to going to have to put up with. And can you imagine if the government don't come in with the energy credits as they did last winter and if the utility companies don't reduce the prices, can you imagine how much the bills are going to be in the winter months? I shudder to even think about it. 0818103103 and then Alan in Bandon said he heard me mention a call that I'd in from a listener, Mary, one of our listeners contacted us last week, who was wondering and wanted us to put it out there to see if anybody else noticed that were they getting uh, as much mileage out of the new petrol, you know, the, way the, petrol gone to e- e10, gone the petrol has gone to E10, it's gone from E5 to E10, it's the way the petrol is made up and how much ethanol is in the petrol. Because Mary contacted us and she reckoned she was getting less mileage out of the E10 fuel than she did out of the E5. Now, we checked it in. I'm sure I had the AA on at the time and we did check it up online and they say no, it should make absolutely no difference at all. Well, Alan said, Alan said he listened to Mary's comment and that got him thinking that he thinks as well that he was getting less mileage out of his petrol. So he decided to do a little bit of an experiment for us and he decided to monitor it over the last seven days. And he said he fills up his petrol, he puts 70 euro worth of petrol into the car and he said that 70 euro will get him full seven days of driving. And he said last week with the new E10 fuel, he said the 70 euro last him between five and a half days, maybe six at the most, he said he certainly is losing one full day of driving. And before anyone jumps in and says, ah, you probably were doing extra driving, he said, no, he does the same weekly journeys and the same journeys are done every day. So he didn't have an extra journey in it. So he agrees with Mary. He reckons that the petrol isn't going as far enough. 0818103103. Our lines remain open. There was somebody on about bats, if I can find that. So many different calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. Where's our bat story? This is from Margaret. Hi, Patricia. Could any of your listeners help me, please, as regards bats? living under the stone facing of my house. Now, Margaret said they came last year and we waited until they were gone and then we sealed up the hole that we believed they were getting in and out of. But they've returned again this year and they're now coming in from a different hole between the fascia and the stone. Can anybody help? And remember, bats are uh, preserved, so you're not allowed to do anything. You can't kill them off or, or anything. I know we used to have a bat expert the Batman. Uh, if we can't get a solution, I'll see if John Paul can contact the, the bat experts who we used to have, uh, who we have had on the programme on a number of uh, occasions. But you did the right thing last year. You waited for them to go and then sealed up the hole. It's just unfortunate. They obviously love living in your house, Margaret, and close by you. Can anyone in the meantime, while we wait to try and get an expert view, tell Margaret, is there anything she can uh, do other than Margaret maybe doing exactly what she did last year? Just wait for the bats uh, to leave and then once again seal up the hole and I hope that they don't find another way of getting into your premises next year. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking 
taking your calls. You can stop texting us on our National Menopause uh, Summit. We will get our winner in just, oh, I have the winner already. Thank you for that. You can stop texting. John Paul has selected our winner for today and it's Marion Barrett in Lombardstown. Congratulations to you, Marion. You've got two tickets to go along to the Cork City Hall on Friday, the 20th of October. We'll have another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow and a final pair on Friday. And people can check out and find out more about it and get further details and indeed purchase tickets by going to the National Menopause Summit.com. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The ISPCC is looking for volunteers for their Childline listening service at their office in Cork. Now, Childline offer 24 7 listening service. It's free and confidential. And if you can, uh, you can reach out online or by phone if you'd like to volunteer. Can you please email volunteer recruitment at ispcc.ie? Skolnev Porik in Kantark have their official opening ceremony and blessing that's happening this Friday morning at 11 o'clock with some very special guests, including the Bishop William Crane and the Minister for Education, Norma Foley. And the Midsummer Eve Dance at Musher Platform is happening this Friday night uh, from 8.45 to 10.45. Music is by the singing Jarvie. All are welcome and there will be no cover charge. And St. Government's Nursing Home, Ballyagran, are holding a bake and craft sale. It's an aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland in the Community Hall in Ballyagran on Saturday. It's from 12 noon until 4pm and your support would be greatly appreciated and if you'd like to contribute in any way more I would love to hear from you at 086 844 844 Cork Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie And when I mentioned about the Cork Roscommon match uh, being on on Saturday at the same time as Live at the Marquee and somebody worried about traffic and all we're told is you can expect heavy traffic in the area. A couple of people are pointing out that the two Johnnies uh, have a sellout a gig in uh, Musgrave Park also on Saturday with gates opening there at five. So that's just going to add, there's going to be a lot of traffic in the city for sure. Thank you to a number of people who pointed that out, including uh, Andrew. And hi, Patricia, to the lady, was it Margaret, who was the problem with the bats getting in through a tiny hole at the point at the cake at the gable end of the house of the stonework and uh, soffit we had the very same uh, problem you just have to wait until September and then when they're gone fill in the hole and we've had no problem since says uh, Jim so it happened to uh, Jim uh, as well so uh, yeah and in fairness Margaret said that's what they did last year she wasn't expecting them to come back but unfortunately they have come uh, back so I don't think there's anything else you could do because they are a protected species so not that she would want to kill them off in any way. John and Cove was on when we're talking about electricity costs he said his bill is just in two month period 14th of April to the 14th of June which traditionally is a time when electricity bills shouldn't be that high. He said his electricity bill 225 euro double what they normally pay at this time of year and I think that's what everybody is saying they're getting a bit of a 
fright when they see the electricity bill arrive. 0818-103-103. We are looking for gardening questions, please. You can text in a gardening question to, to 0862-103-103. Let me go to the phone lines where Joe in Kilmallock uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Hello, Patricia. Now, you were reacting to when I mentioned about Taylor Swift coming to Dublin and how some of the hotels now are being accused of price gouging. That's that's right. Putting up their price. You were recently in a hotel in Dublin. Tell me what happened. Uh, We went out for a meal. Okay. With with my son-in-law and daughter and they had to to pay for the car park. In the hotel we had the the meal? in, In the hotel. And my other daughter then stayed in the skyline in Dublin and uh, I think it, it, it for the two nights it was 16 euros in the car park and that's a private they own that car park themselves so okay when you went for dinner first of all none of you were staying in the hotel no no, no but, and they were charged with the car park but you're the, the, saying your daughter stayed and got charged even though she was she was a resident in the hotel she was and I said to her where did you pay for it she said I paid for it at the reception and they gave us they gave us a sticker and we put it on the car that's incredible, isn't it? So it just proves that uh, the, the hotels in Dublin, not all of them, but some of them are ripping off the, the customer. Well, I think the big problem, and I know Cahill Crow, the Fianna Fáil TD from Clare, was saying that some of the hotels in Dublin are almost making it impossible that those of us outside of Dublin, if you want to go to the capital to enjoy anything, they're, they're pricing us out of the market. Things have just well, gone so you, expensive. You just can't go there. Yeah. You can't, you, Dublin, Dublin is an expensive city. It's a rip-off city. And but not, not all of them, but yeah, a, lo- a yeah. lot of them. But, lot. but we've got the Department of Tourism saying it's causing Ooh. reputational damage. It is, but uh, they, they, they're, they're doing nothing about it, politicians. They're allowing all this to go, to go, to go ahead. And there's the reduced fast rate. The, sky, the, skyline, the Skyline Hotel, it, that's a private car park. They own it themselves. And yet they're making money out of parking there as well, as well as staying in the hotel. And if you travel to a hotel, you're more than likely going to have a car with you. I don't think I've ever heard of a hotel here in Cork charging for somebody. No, to I never heard it around here, but yeah. um, it, it's definitely, definitely happening in Dublin. Okay. And you're not planning on going to the Taylor Swift concert, Joe? No, oh no, no. <laughs> I, I stay home. You have my legs up in the phone. I think <laughs> All right, Joe, listen, good to talk to you. Thanks okay, for that. Bye, <laughs> Thanks bye, for bye. joining us. I can see uh, some of your gardening questions coming in. You can keep those coming in, please, particularly by text or WhatsApp to 0862 And there was a WhatsApp in earlier. I don't know if I can find it now. And this is to do with the children's hospital. I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh with the children's hospital. Somebody is asking the question, will we ever see the children's uh, hospital uh, built? It's now where what we're now being told is it is over 80 percent complete. Uh, That's a quote from the builder. But the government and the Department of Health can't get a definite confirmation that the children's hospital will be ready for a handover next uh, March. Now, it's BAM. They are the builders who are building the National Children's Hospital. And there's been more controversy and more confusion uh, this week over the 1.4 billion euro uh, hospital. 
and bearing in mind that the first of the little patients to go into the children's hospital is meant to be at the end of next year, 2024. 20, uh, BAM say work is, uh, is progressing well. They're the ones that have given this figure that it's 80% uh, complete. But in response to why it has failed to deliver a final completion timeline, which, by the way, the final completion timeline was due last February. BAM says we are continuing to prepare the programme update as required under the contract based on the scope as currently known. <laughs> so when are you going to have the have the hospital finished? That makes no sense at all to me. And um, the health minister, Stephen Donnelly. Um, um, had come out and reckoned now BAM are denying this he reckons that they were the source of leaks and that BAM were using Sinn Féin for their own advantage that was after the Sinn Féin party claimed correspondence suggested that remedial work to 11 theatres at the Children's Hospital would delay completion and also this came out yesterday that was going to cost tens of millions of uh, euro but BAM says they haven't leaked any reports they haven't been engaging with any other third parties. Both the Taoiseach now, Leo Varadkar and Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, said they were confident that the hospital would be ready by March and that any remedial work that was needed wasn't major and it could be done in parallel with the ongoing construction. So they're confident, but it would be nice if BAM would be able to say to them, yes, we will be ready to hand over the keys to you in March. The National Paediatric Hospital Development Board said the potential works um, on the theatres and this problem that has been uh, discovered. They say that they're minor and I think if anything it's got something to do with the replacement of four uh, ceiling grills and they say look they've discovered there's a problem with it they're going to sort it out BAM are going to do it it won't cost tens of millions of euro and the National Paediatric Hospital Development Board are confident that it's not going to impact in any way on the completion date of the hospital and that all sounds great but I would prefer if BAM came out and put it in writing and confirmed to the Minister and to the Taoiseach and to the Hospital Board that they will be ready to hand it over in uh, March. The Hospital Board said that due to BAM's delay in providing a compliant programme of works, they're now intending to withhold some of the money. They can hold up to 15% of payments. That might move BAM along a little bit. And while we're talking and hoping that the hospital will get handed over in March, it then takes six months to commission the hospital before the first patient would be admitted. So even if they get the keys in March, it's going to be the end of next year before any patients will be admitted there. And then Stephen Donnelly was also asked about the final cost of the children's uh, hospital and will it exceed the 1.4 billion where it is at the moment? Stephen Donnelly said there were substantial numbers of money in dispute over claims. So he said it's unclear. Uh, how much of those would be agreed and the matter he says could escalate to the courts so he has no way of knowing how much is it actually going to uh, cost but it did get me thinking when I saw yesterday that the Children's Hospital was back in the papers for all the wrong reasons and the thought that there could be further delays it got me thinking how long have we been talking about a Children's Hospital it seems you've got to go back to 1993 so that's 30 years ago that's when it was first mentioned. It was the Royal College of Physicians recommended building a single hospital. 30 years ago, they had concerns about the state of the current facility, the Three Children's Hospital in Dublin. So they suggested one big 
hospital. So that's 30 years ago. But then you've got to move on because things move very slowly. You've got to go on to 2006. An independent study commissioned by the HSE recommended this one major children's hospital in Dublin, which would then go on to provide specialist care for the whole country. That was 2006. 2009, a design team was uh, appointed to draw up the physical plans for the new hospital. And in 2009, they said it will be built by 2014. That obviously didn't happen. In 2010, the chair of the development board resigned and that wouldn't be the first chair to resign. This board chair resigned, citing differences with the then health minister who was health minister in 2010. Remember one, Mary Harney. But the board began talks with board Planola about submitting an application. So things were still in the pipeline in 2010. In 2012, on board Panola refused planning and another review group was uh, set up uh, following a review. The then health minister, that was James Riley, he announced the cabinet had now optioned to build on the grounds of St. James's Hospital. So we're up to 2012. Following year, 2013, a new development board was appointed for the hospital. They were then expecting the hospital to be built in 2016. In 2016, planning was approved and Leo Varadkar said the hospital would cost €650 million and he said it would be built in 2020. In 2017, BAM Construction, they began with a budget of €983 However, that jumped by another £20 in just a few months' time. Then in 2018, a further £450 was added to what was now a rising bill. 2019, the then chair of the board resigned and then an independent review was carried out by PricewaterhouseCooper and that found that the underestimated of the real cost of the project contributed to the vast majority of the increases. So then move along, obviously, 2020, 2021, construction faced major delays and that was due to the pandemic. And then last year, the Taoiseach admitted lessons have to be learned from the budget overruns of the hospital. And we take us up to today where we're told it's now 80% complete. And this year, the Public Accounts Committee has voiced frustration as it still does not know what the final cost of the National Children's Hospital will be. Three years after the last estimate put it at 1.7 billion and since February of 2021 the Department of Health and the Board have refused to speculate on the final cost stating that the release of such commercially sensitive information will be very damaging to the state's interest. Goodness me that story has not ended and there will be a book written about a very detailed book written about the opening of the National Children's Hospital whenever it will open. So fingers crossed that it will now be the end of 2024. 0818 103 103. John Paul has taken your calls. We are looking for gardening questions. Uh, please, you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And uh, Peter Dowdrell, theirishgardener.com, joining us on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. 
on a, a sunny Wednesday afternoon Patricia uh, good afternoon it's, how are you it's, I'm great thank you it's lovely to see uh, the sun out isn't it and it's but it's such bizarre weather you can be in one area and it's bucketing down and then you'll have friends of yours or family members not too far away and it's glorious sunshine it's very localised I was driving I, I can't remember where I was driving back from I think somewhere in West Cork the other day and it was torrential rain and then it was like you'd come out of a car wash, like just a line, in the, a line on the road, bone dry. You just suddenly drove out of the rain. It was the strangest thing ever. Yeah, very yeah, strange. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's what we're getting. Yeah, because even yesterday we had uh, we had showers and uh, my son is down in a beautiful Court McSherry with his little family for the week. And he was sending me these glorious photographs of sunny spells and they were down at the beach and I was legging it in and out of the car because of the showers. Yeah, it's, it's crazy weather, crazy. OK, let's get straight into questions. And we've sent you on a picture that somebody got into us nice and early. Gardening question for Peter. Could you please ask Peter why a patch of my Grisselinia hedge has died and what should I do about it? And it is very clear a full section in the middle of what looks like a long hedge has just completely died off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <clears throat> excuse me. It's a brilliant photograph. Not for not for the not for the person who's gardening. It is, of course, but it's, it it very clearly illustrates what's happening because this this is a question that we've been hearing an awful lot over the last couple of years on on the program. Trish, people with Christina patches of it dying off, and and the the the. The, the, the answer, it's not good news, I'm afraid, because that part of the hedge is now dead. It's not going to come back. It, it's most likely been caused by some type of root rot, some type of fungal infection, most likely phytophthora, um, but it could, there's several others that do it. Um, and yeah, I'm afraid I'm the bearer of bad news, but when it happens, there's nothing you can do to make it better. It's a question of, of taking out the dead, the dead part of the hedge, the dead section, which is quite a substantial section in this case, and it doesn't. I can't see in the photograph how much longer on either end it goes. If you know how much good hedge is left, but if it's, it might be a question. I'm afraid of taking out the whole hedge and putting in a fresh one because if you take out the dead section of of that hedge or of any hedge, if people can imagine it, um, I wouldn't recommend replanting Grislinia in there again. And then, of course, if you put in any other species, it'll be like a bit like a sore thumb. It'll scream, yeah. you know what I mean? Because it's a single species hedge. So it might be a question of removing all of it, depending on how much of it is left. If it's only less than half of it left, I'd probably look at removing all of it and starting again. And and the thing is, you need to you need to remove, particularly around the dead area, a lot of that soil as well. So you need to put in fresh soil there too. So it's a bit of a big job, I'm afraid. Um, with with i don't know if the statistics bear me up i know we're talking about the gorgeous weather now but i I don't know about this winter but it seemed to me to be the wettest ever it seemed to not didn't stop raining for about six months as i say maybe maybe i'm wrong maybe the the statistics will tell me one way or the other but root rots like this phytophthora thrive in this very wet heavy damp soil uh and it looks like i mean certainly ireland is always damp it looks like we're going more and more that way as well during the winter months so I think this is the problem we're going to continue to see, unfortunately. Yeah, and I read a report from uh, Chagas uh, earlier on who were talking about we as consumers are going to face a shortage of homegrown uh, fruit and vegetables. And one of the points that the Chagas advisor made that while the overall, the rainfall for the last number of weeks and months probably were normal enough, but it said it's coming in bursts and the crops yeah. don't particularly like that. 
Yeah, and I think I think that well, obviously that's accurate because they've done their homework. But uh, I think over the years, and we've had this conversation before too. But I think when you when you average out the rainfall over a twelve month period in Ireland, it tends not to vary much from year to year. Now I don't know what's happening in a trend, whether it's going up or not, but it does tend not to vary much from year to year. But it's just when it happens, and I think this winter, I mean, we had a very dry July, August, September, if you remember, but mm. like very very dry. But then I think we we just got, I'd say. 80% of our annual rainfall over the next few months and I, that, that is having an effect obviously as on the agriculture but I think it's having an effect in our gardens as well. Okay, let me stay, go back and stay with Grisselinia hedging because somebody said I, I, sat, I set a Grisselinia hedge about two years ago. A few of them failed. Now it isn't the same as our, our listener whose who's established hedge has, has died off. Uh, can I simply just replace them? Uh, and I'm wondering why would some have flourished and others didn't it is it the dry weather should i have watered them more well yes yes and yes it's a very different question to to the first one the, the first one is an established hedge dying off which is as we say a root rot most likely when you put in a new hedge depending on what time of year you well whatever time of year you put in a new hedge you would expect a certain percentage to die off it's it's just you, the the law of averages or whatever you want to call it but then depending on what time of the year you plant them you know, that percentage could be higher or lower. So if you plant them at the correct time of the year, which is probably kind of November to February, you, you, you'd you expect less of a die-off because they get established in the ground before they start growing in the spring. Whereas if you planted the, plant them, let's say, as potted plants on a day like today in the middle of a dry spell, you stand a much higher chance of losing more because of just drought. So the, the, with this caller, there's absolutely nothing to worry about. Uh, you, you'd expect to lose a few of them. Why it happened? Yes, most likely, 99% that they dried out. Why does it just happen to a few and not the others? It's just, it's, this is nature, unfortunately. Patches of soil could dry out quicker. Plant, certain plants might require a certain amount more water, uh, but you've nothing to worry about. And in answer to the question, yes, you can just just pull them out and put in fresh ones where they were. Can you cut a laurel hedge now, says the listener. It's gone no, you, very thick. Can you divide it in two? You can't cut any hedge now because of the, the Wildlife Act. Um, well, of course, we had this discussion. Yeah, we did. In that you, can, you can, but um, but I would advise absolutely not to. And if you are cutting a hedge back, you have to do um, a survey for, for birds nesting. If you remember, we spoke with Amy yeah. about this a few weeks ago. And if there are birds nesting, and there's a high, high po- a possibility that there is birds nesting in, a, in an established laurel hedge. So you're actually breaking the law and you will be prosecuted for it. They are bringing people to court now for this. So, so... Tread carefully. I wouldn't recommend it anyway. I wouldn't recommend it from an ecological point of view with the birds, but even horticulturally, I wouldn't recommend cutting back your hedge now, a laurel hedge. Wait till September. Uh, it's a better time of the year. Growth is slowing down. Any birds that are in there will hopefully have, have spread their wings. Um, so that would be a better time of the year to do it. It's only another couple of months. Uh, September, do it then. How do you get rid of clover and buttercups on a lawn? And also, what's the best food for hydrangeas? You learn to love the buttercups yeah, and clover. Yeah. You, you don't try and get rid of them. Um, uh, and I, I've been admiring lawns all over the country the last couple of weeks. I've been in so many gardens where people haven't been cutting the grass. And um, the clover, it just looks magical. And, the, and yeah. the buttercups, it just looks magic. But I mean, that jokes aside, we do have to recalibrate at the moment. And we have to see them as beautiful and as important plants and not as weeds to be poisoned. But the best, the best, um, the, so, the, so sorry, with that, Obviously, it's kind of impractical to go out and hand weed clover. You're not going to be able to do that. Just, I think just if you don't like it, just keep mowing it. Um, 
if you want, when the flowers are gone, because the flowers are obviously very, very important. But after that, just keep mowing it. But don't don't try poisoning it or don't try killing it. In terms of a best food for the hydrangea, I suppose in ter- a, a general purpose feed would be a good uh, liquid or, or, or pelletized seaweed feed, which would be good for the overall growth. But then hydrangeas are a bit different, Trish, because as you as you know, I'm sure they, they're pH sensitive. So what that means is, if they're growing in a limey soil or a soil with a high pH, they'll be pink in color. Mm. Whereas if they're growing in a low pH or an acid soil, they'll be blue in color. Okay. So for a general feed, I'd just give them a good liquid feed or sorry, a good seaweed feed. But if you want blue and you're on lime, uh, you give them some sulfate of iron or something like that. Or aluminium sulfates will also do a very good job. If you want pink hydrangeas, but they're blue, then just give them some garden lime. God, it gets all so confusing, doesn't it, with the different colours? It's, it's actually, it's, it sounds it, but it's not yeah, really. Yeah, it's not yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it depends on what you like, what, what colour you like. Yeah, correct. Because, because yeah. uh, Jeannie obviously is doing really well with her hydrangeas. She has three and they are getting much too big. When can I cut them back, please? She said they're smothered with flowers. Well, good. Well, don't dream of cutting them back now, obviously, because they're, they're either coming into flower or they're in flower. So um, doing that, you'll sacrifice them and they won't produce more. So the, the, the right time to do it really is kind of end of February. So leave it, leave the, the, the debris on them, if you like, this year's growth on them, the dead flowers and that all winter long to protect the plant. And I quite like that winter look of hydrangeas too. I know not everybody does, but I, I quite like it. And then cut them back in February. And you can cut them back really as hard as you want. When they're very, very big, you're looking more at in, in less less in terms of the overall size of the plant, but more at looking at the inside of the plant and take out that very thick woody growth that's getting tired and leave growth that's kind of as thick as your finger. Uh, and then you can reduce the overall height and, and spread of it. But there is that magic number, Trish, isn't there? The seven nodes. Seven, yeah. yeah. And we still can't work so, out who came up with that. Who came up with it. So, yeah. So when you're pruning back in February, the stems that you're leaving, you can cut them back as hard as you want. But if you leave less than seven nodes on a stem, then that stem won't flower. So what a node is, it's quite simply a dormant leaf bud and counting from the ground up, ground up. Uh, leave seven nodes. Now, it depends on the stem. With some stems, that could be 10 inches. With another stem, it could be three feet. So it, do, it does depend. Uh, if you go harder than that, you're not going to harm the plant. You just w- will miss flowers for a year or two. Okay. And hi, Peter. Is it too late to prune flame of the forest? Is it too late? No, it is not too late. Um, sorry, I'm just hesitating because what month are we in? We're in the 21st of June. Well, we are a bit late. Sorry, we are, ideally you would have done it earlier. So the flame of the forest, which has grown very much for its red foliage, the red new growth, which is spectacular. But it's a flowering plant. It produces masses of these kind of lily of the valley type flowers. They're gorgeous, yeah. And they really are. So ideally you prune it just after those flowers are gone, which would probably be about May. We're only into the middle of June. It's not, you're not going to harm the plant by cutting it back. No, you may, you may impact next year's flowering a small bit just because we're a bit late, but you probably won't even. It's not that late. So I, w- I would prune away. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, and you, uh, you're as busy as ever this week. Busy as ever, and I checked. Um, I checked to make sure that the, the to see if there was any hospice gardens open this yeah. weekend. To the best of my knowledge, there isn't. I know there have been for the last few weeks, and I know they've been tremendously well supported. So hopefully, everybody's been enjoying the gardens and the good Brilliant. weather. Brilliant! Listen, have a good one. We'll talk to you next Wednesday.
Thanks, Trish. Talk Thanks, to you then. Peter. Bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irishgardener.com. Just a couple of texts in on hotels and hotel prices in Dublin. And uh, we heard from Joe where some, some hotels in Dublin are charging. Even if you're staying, they charge for the car park. Uh, Jim says, Trish, I was in the Skyland Hotel about three months ago in Dublin for a meal. It was the afters of a funeral. There was a barrier at the entrance, but when we were leaving, the fee was wavered at the reception desk. But maybe that was because we were at a funeral. party says uh, Jim but I think when the Skyland was mentioned earlier it was to do with somebody who actually stayed in the hotel Jim not um, the hotel where Joe went for me was was a different hotel where they got charged for parking in the hotel car park while they were having uh, the meal and hi Patricia on bats we have bats outside living underneath the felt of the felt of our water tank. They came back this year to the same place. We've just let them alone. It's actually nice to see them when it gets dark, when it gets dark and they're all flying around. So learn to love the bats is what this listener is saying. Somebody's asking when is the O'Mahony clan gathering on in Coolcar House in McCroom? It's on this weekend. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Court Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.